Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 16, 2017. The share ID numbers for Friday, April 14th, are for the 7 a.m. Eastern, 9839. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern, 9840. This morning, A Vision for You presents the crux of the problem. The big book's approach to our disease is what Dr. William Silkworth, who wrote the doctor's opinion, called the double whammy. Put simply, we have an allergy of the body, which means that once we start eating certain kinds of foods, we develop cravings which overpower us. And we have a mental obsession, which means that even If we stop eating those foods, our mind persuades us that we can return to eating those foods all over again and again and again and again. The mental obsession is the real problem. As the big book points out, our main problem centers in our mind rather than in our body. In Chapter 3 of the big book, More About Alcoholism, it describes and unpacks the mental obsession, the mental state which precedes taking that very first bite. Joining us today is Christine T., a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Christine is devoted to the 12-step way of life and certainly dedicated to carrying the message of recovery to those who still suffer. And welcome to the line, Christine. Thank you, Leah. How are you? Thank God. I'm well. Thank you so much. All right. Hi. My name is Christine T. I'm from Florham Park, New Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I have the pleasure of saying that for about three years. Um In the last year or so, and I can tell you probably um, the most interesting part is the last time I went to your conference, uh, a lot of people asked the question, um, what food plan am I on? (laughs) And I, I, um, I really just want to shout out, it's not about the food. Um, so around six months ago, um, I saw this sentence. It's not a sentence that I ever dwelled on before, and that's what I love about the big book, is every time I get to go through this book, I get to find another sentence that I just adore, and I found this sentence, I would say around November. Okay, so we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of our problem. So um, that's on page 35. It's the first full sentence in More About Alcoholism on that page. The sentence um, was really important to me. As I started to sponsor tons of people, they are coming in and they're asking about their food plan, and I understand that, but it's really not about the food. So I have to get them to figure out their red light foods and and um, and uh, get the food down. Then I've got to get them to work the steps. Um, I can't really get them. They have to be willing um, and uh, so that they can understand where I, where I am and what I think today. Okay, so this sentence, it tells me exactly what my problem really is. There is no other answer. It is my mental state. 
and I used food all of my life to solve that problem until I did this work and I connected to something so wonderful and so powerful. I no longer seek or even think about food. I wanted to discuss, I really today, what I learned by doing all this work. When I walked in the rooms on April 4th in 2014, I came from a, a spot, I went back to a former sponsor I had had 10 years prior. I hadn't, I've been in and out of these rooms for 30 years. So um, 10 years ago, so that would be in 2004, I walked in and I had this sponsor at that time and her number was in my phone, so I called her. Um, so I walked back in. Three weeks later, someone sat next to me. Her name is Barbara A. And she said something to me. You know, true compulsive overeaters cannot recover unless they do the steps as written in that big book. I asked her right then and there to teach me. And this is what I've learned. The first thing she discussed with me were red light foods. No one had ever discussed red light foods with me before. I was given a meal plan in the past that I had to follow, and I did so in weight and measured amounts, and I committed my food and used the tools, okay, in the past. I also want to share a story about this individual that sponsored me. Ten years ago when I had walked in prior to 2014, that person who was sponsoring me, um, I guess, uh, I believe Barbara, I know, Barbara sat down next to me and asked me, said the same sentence. I went back to that individual, and she told me I did not have to work the steps. Don't worry about it. So in 2014, when Barbara sat down next to me, I did not tell my sponsor I chose to work the steps, and Barbara and I started this together. Quietly, and about four weeks into it, I told my food sponsor. From there, it took me about 10 weeks for my life to dramatically transform. I mean, so dramatically to the point of where when I went to do amends to my husband, um, he thought I was uh, leaving him. He thought I found somebody. I changed so much that uh, it took me three attempts to make amends to him because he had no idea uh, how I could be so different and not be in love with somebody else, I guess. I had changed so much. But by doing this work, these are the things I learned, which I'm going to go over. And it's it might be tough information to hear, but this is what I learned. I learned what the solution to that seemingly hopeless state of mind would be. I learned that I could find clear-cut directions in this big book for taking the actions I must be must take to be assured that I can live like the first 100 recovered alcoholics. I learned the difference between fellowship and program. I learned that although I share a common problem with these people, that in itself will not produce the solution. And I want to kind of expand on that a little and tell you my experience about this and how I got to this. You see, for 27 years, I came in and out of these rooms. I believe I'm 53. So when I was in my 20s, I came in the first time. I actually was in these rooms uh, younger than 18, but I thought these people, it was a dark room in the middle of the South Bronx, and all I can tell you, it was uh, 
everybody was sharing these emotional things, and I just didn't understand it, and I ran out because I thought everybody was crazy, but I am crazy. <laughs> so, um, But I've solved that problem a tad, but I still uh, think I am. So um, uh, I basically was in and out, and I used the fellowship, okay, as as the solution. So when I walked into the rooms, uh, people would tell me what food plan. They discussed food plan. They discussed the tools, and we'd read the steps. And I started in Boston. Um, then I moved to New York, and I had a year of abstinence. I moved to New York City. I found some meetings, a lot of problem-based rooms, meaning, again, never really discussing the steps. We'd read the steps, but no real discussion. And I've been to, like, a, many, many different rooms, but this is, in uh, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, then I moved to New Jersey eventually and found rooms again. I've moved to New Hampshire. I, I've been in four different states and lived there. And uh, the last time um, I, um, I, uh, I guess, came in the rooms here and uh, around here, um, it, again, food-based. Uh, my, my sponsor is my higher power. They don't necessarily the work my, the steps. They tell me step schmeps. They tell me don't worry about it. It'll take se- seven years for you to be able to work them. We never discuss them. The tools are the highlights. Okay, weighing and measuring is my highlight. My food plan is my highlight and all all of this. And I make it a year. I can lose. I used to weigh 330 pounds. The first time I walked in the rooms, I lost 170 pounds in the first year. Every time I came back, I was older. The next time, 150. The next time, 130. The next time, only 90. Okay? And, 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 uh, and so what happens is a same food plan over the years. But I'm following the food plan. Weighing and measuring is, is my solution. And my higher power is the room and the fellowship. So by doing this work, I discovered that that sentence that I based this whole thing on is really my problem. I didn't realize it. After a year of abstinence, I am shaking. I have no idea. I can't go anymore. I'm asking these people, what can I do? And they can't really help me. Okay, they don't, they tell me, I ask about the steps. They don't necessarily know how to work them or want to work them with me. And I leave. And that's how I left every time. So three years ago, I come back in. I'm going to go back to what I've learned. Okay? I learned that although a compulsive overeater cannot control the amount he or she eats, once they have taken the first few bites of red light foods, because these are the foods that I have a physical sensitivity to, okay, that is not my real problem. So weighing and measuring and following the tools is not going to help me. (laughs) The physical allergy is not what drove me into Overeaters Anonymous for help. The real problem centers in my mind. Because the real compulsive overeater is unable to manage his or her most earned decision to never take another bite. It's heavy-duty words, and it took me about, (laughs) it took me a long time, you know, to find this, and I'm ever so grateful. But eating compulsively is not the main problem of the chronic compulsive overeater. Compulsive overeat 
and do so almost better than anybody else. (laughs) Stopping is not my problem. Every compulsive overeater has stopped many, many times. The real compulsive overeater's mind is one that does not have sufficient willpower to manage the decision to stay stopped. That produces the insidious insanity that leads to the first bite of a red light food. Because let me tell you, that is the first food I have gone to in the past. I did not eat lettuce, okay? For me, um, a red light food was sugar, fat, and flour, especially together. Those, those things together are the item that triggered every one of my firsts in binging. Then from there, no holds bar. Anything that isn't nailed down, I'll eat. But it always got started with a red light food. So the real problem of the chronic compulsive overeater is that I cannot stay stopped. Lacking willpower to manage my decision to not take the first bite mandates that the hopeless compulsive overeater find a higher power, something strong enough that will remove the need to manage a decision to never eat compulsively again. This is the answer. This is what I had to do. And I love that I love in this big book where Bill W calls the, you know, simple some simple rules. <laughs> I love when he says all these other words for the 12 steps because that's what he wants, you know. He wants us in this book he's teaching us how to connect to something greater than ourselves to save us. Because in the rooms over the years I was probably sponsored by multiple different types of eaters. And even today, I can still find them in the room. And I'm going to go through this. This is controversial stuff that you might agree with, you might not agree with. I might challenge your thinking in it. But it's, it's okay. You know, I, I don't, I'm trying to discuss all of this so that people understand what, what we have to do to get well, just like the 100, the 100 that did this in this book. Okay, so I learned of three types of eaters. There are moderate eaters. These are individuals who would never think of coming to Overeaters Anonymous. They can take it or leave it alone. Then there are hard eaters. They may need to come to Overeaters Anonymous to learn that they are not compulsive overeaters. Given a good reason, they can eat like moderate eaters or abstain completely if they so choose. I learned that a real or chronic compulsive overeater is totally powerless over their red light foods, that I can neither control the amount I eat of it, nor do I have the power to manage a decision to never eat it again. Overeaters Anonymous is for real or chronic compulsive overeaters only, and we learn more about that as we journey through the 12 steps. So I'm gonna. Um, I, I want to talk about that a little, and 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 I and I'm talking about this because I really want to encourage, not a division in the rooms, but an encouragement to identify yourself, and and really go through and identify what you are, because I will explain my story. So for 27 years, I would say maybe the first sponsor I ever had 
might have been a true compulsive overeater. I'm not sure. Only she can really identify that. We stuck to a food plan um, that I could live with at that point. I moved within eight months after being with her, um, and I moved to New York City. Um, and But from there on out, I was probably sponsored by mostly hard eaters. And they, as me being a true compulsive overeater, these are the things that they told me. They told me I could have sugar again one day. <laughs> that I just had to lose my weight and I could eat everything I used to eat as long as I weighed and measured it. Not for me. I am a true compulsive overeater. That can't happen because guess what happens when it goes in my mouth? <laughs> I have a physical sensitivity and I can't stop eating it. Then these individuals are wonderful people who could maintain their abstinence for decades and decades and never really uh, just weigh and measure, never really work the steps and move on about their lives. And, um, I, you know, most of them felt that it was a nuisance to teach the steps. That's what I was told my last one. It's like, this is a lot of work. I don't want to do it. Hmm. It's very interesting, you know. But because they sponsored me, I left the rooms. And I'm not somebody who just uh, gains a little weight. I gained 330 or I was 330 pounds or 150, 170 pounds at a time, and I have heart palpitations, you know. And so I have to tell you, being sponsored by a heart eater can kill a true compulsive overeater. And I'm, it's not, I don't take this lightly, you know, and I'm not complaining, okay. I'm not whining because I believe this is the path God God gave me, and I'm such a missionary about this right now, I, I, you know, in the sense that this is, this is how I found sobriety, and I'm really excited, but I also want to teach people that it's so imperative that we find out and define who we are in these rooms, because um, it's a topic that I, I believe if, uh, you know, if we all identify, and Margaret says she's a moderate eater who's in here just, you know, to do what she needs to do, if a moderate eater comes towards me to sponsor them, I'll probably bring them over to Margaret right? Or if Sue has somebody who's a hard eater and she has a compulsive overeater, we might ask, you know, well, you know, I might bring her, my hard eater over to her and I might take her true compulsive overeater, you know, and that, and to help them get through this work and do this work. It's not to separate us, but to join us as a group. So I'm going to discuss some other controversial stuff. Do we have a common problem in Overeaters Anonymous? As an individual that has been that has had several sponsor over the 27 years prior to my big book recovery, I've questioned whether we do. As someone who has sponsored probably by hard eaters, which I just described, they used the tools and the fellowship to get out of the food. They were unable to maintain. They were uh, they were able, sorry, to maintain their abstinence for decades, decades. Okay, by just working the tools and the fellowship, coming to meetings. Okay, without working or teaching the steps. If you think about that, they're probably hard eaters. I can't do that. I need to find a higher power to save me. I also, as a real compulsive overeater, was desperate enough to have to do this work. It's the only thing connecting to something, to my incredible higher power, who has saved me multiple times, you know, from myself. 
okay, from my mental state. Okay, next question. Do we, in Overeaters Anonymous, have a common solution? And I'm, go- I'm answering honestly. I am hoping we're getting there. I've sat in rooms for years that have all discussed, all that was discussed were tools and food plants. We discuss how living and working the 12 steps, um, I, uh, oh, sorry, I, I changed a sentence. Okay, I, I go to two solution-based meetings, okay? And in that, we discuss how living and working the 12 steps, not my problems or my food plan, have connected me to something that has saved me. I figured out that I, I am my problem, and by using the steps, I get to be free from the compulsion. So I can go to 10 meetings this week in my area. In those 10 meetings, eight of them are tool and food plan based. Two of them are recovery 12-step based. So do we have a common solution? Okay, we do if we follow the steps as written in the big book. But in the rooms, do we? So these are just questions that I'm asking to challenge, you know, us as a group of individuals out there trying to help others. I am asking you all to think about these two questions I just put forth. Repeat them. That if we keep discussing our food and our problems, we will never get to the, to the solution. The, to, the solution is the 12 steps as written in the big book. We need to discuss how working these steps have changed our lives. Define if you are a moderate, a hard, and a true compulsive overeater. The true compulsive overeater should only be sponsored by other true compulsive overeaters. Otherwise, this person has no chance to recover. They could literally die. I am lucky I found another true compulsive overeater to teach me this work. And now I'm going to tell you a little about my story and my transformation so you understand what I've done. I'm crying. (laughs) I have lived in hell for 50 years of my own self. I was a heavily resentful individual that thought everyone in my life was out to get me. I had many, many, many resentments. Very little fears and not many harms, but extremely resentment heavy. I, I... my my whole life is transformed, and I, I, I'll explain a couple of my resentments. My mom died when I was 18. Uh, at her funeral, my aunt and uncle were, um, it's the last time I talked to them. I'm 18 years old. I've done now done this work three years ago, and I, they're on my resentment sheet. Uncle Henry, Aunt Kathy never talked to me after my mother's funeral column two. What does that affect? Almost everything across the board. Even sex relations, because any I say this all the time, because anything that obsesses, that I obsess about in my head, okay, my state of mind, um, I don't want to have sex. (laughs) I just like, it's not of interest, okay, because I'm obsessing and I'm in my thing because then I get to eat, right? Okay. And so what is my part in that? And I came to my part and my part was that I never contacted them. 
so in this process, I have my five columns, and I have to make an amends to them after step four. And I make that call. And in that call, um, Aunt Kathy was easy to talk to. She, she, we had something we had to discuss, um, and I started to talk to her, and I asked her if you, she would ask Uncle Henry if I could talk to him. Uncle Henry, uh, I guess a week later, they finally call me back, and Uncle Henry says to me, uh, or tells Kathy, uh, he, he'll talk to you, but he thinks you're a horrible individual, and that, <laughs> and that um, you know, um, but he'll he'll take your call. So I lie down on the bed and I pray. I don't know how long, an hour and a half, two hours, and I ask God to get me up when, I, when I'm able to, to do what I need to do. And all of a sudden I sat up. I, I was there a long time, hours, okay? And I sat up, I went to the office, I made the call. And in the middle of the call, it was actually really beautiful. It was telling me who he thought I was, okay? And... And in that very moment, I started to giggle to myself, and I realized he can't hurt me because I am every one of those things he's telling me I was. I was an intention seeker. I was as a kid. My sister, it's not, it's not my sister, you know, um, fault. Um, my my sister was a special one. I wasn't. And I, I did a lot of behaviors that just wanted attention. And I get it. And, um, and that's what he was telling me. And I apologized for that. And I made an amends. And I told him that um, I would, would love to talk to him again. And uh, we now talk to each other at least every two to three weeks. Uh, I brought my family to visit them. I have an ongoing relationship with the two of them. Um, and I go down again in the next eight weeks to visit them and spend time with them. They're really funny. Um, I missed 30 years of this because of my character defects. And it's kind of sad, but today I'm really happy about it. I have an incredible relationship. I have other things that happen to me. I'll give you another one because I did this yesterday and I, I like to give them and show you what's happened to me. Recently, I had a lawn care guy who wasn't doing his job a year ago um, that he needed to do, and um, I wanted to fire him uh, fall of, of 2015. And a year ago, my husband, one day on the way out of the house, this is what he says, he, he turns to me and he goes, and I was busy on the phone with a sponsee, but I hear him go, I'm going to fire the lawn guy today. And so I paid attention, but I didn't. He calls, I guess all of a sudden, I'm, uh, I see the call from the lawn care guy come. I listen to his message. He's crying. And he said, your husband told me I, you hate my guts and that you don't like me. And <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> and um, that basically uh, you're firing me. So I immediately pick up the phone to yell at my husband. And in that process, I realize I cannot do that. I've chosen not to do that anymore. I've done this work, and I can't say, what the heck did you do? And so I hang up the phone. I ask God for guidance. I dial the phone again. I say, honey, I need to understand I got a call from the, from the um, lawn care guy, and I need to understand what you told him. He tells me, and I said, you know what, I'm going to call him back, and I'll call you later. It didn't matter what he said or did, my husband. So I called the lawn care guy. He begged for a second chance. I gave him a second chance. And, and basically, 
I dial my husband back. And in that process, I'm still, I'm about to scream at him. Then I hang up the phone again, and I realized my part. I dialed the phone. This took 30 seconds. And I said, you know, honey, I'm really sorry. I was supposed to uh, let this guy go in the fall, and I didn't. This is my transformation. This is what I do today. This is how I live. I live happy, joyous, and free. I've worked these steps. I work hard at it. And I enjoy my life. I really love how I live today. I have great relationships. I have a boy that was engaged to my daughter. She was dating. That actually helped me get into these rooms a couple of years ago. I was on vacation, and he was partaking in a substance. He was double fisting it. I was watching him. I hated this boy. I watched him drink these things, but I was standing at the counter shoving croissant in my mouth just as fast. And he made me see who I really was. And I got off that plane from... St. Martin, and I made a call in the bathroom to that sponsor who got me in these rooms. I hated this boy. How could this boy be marrying my kid? This isn't what I wanted for my kid. But yet I'm just as bad as he is. Do you know I love that boy today? Because I've done this work. That kid is such a sweet kid. He's got a problem just like me. He doesn't understand what to do about it. I get it. You know, it takes us to get to the point of no return to realize, you know, and to do this work. And hopefully he finds somebody like my sponsor who wants to sit down and teach them how to save their own life, how to connect to this thing that is so incredible that a boy that I wished was dead that I love beyond belief today. Like he's at my house. He asked me to bake all these things. I'm in my office right now. And I did it. I did all these things because he loves certain things and he asked me because I love him. He's marrying my daughter. I love him today. It's not him. It's me. I changed. And that's what this work is about. If we don't change our thinking, the crux of the problem see who we really are, and the reason, the mental state that brings me to each one of those bites in the past. If I just follow the tools and I just, you know, follow that food plan and weighing and measuring is my God, I don't get to be recovered. I don't get to have great relationships. I don't get to change and live happy, joyous, and free. That is what this is about, you know? Identifying who we are is so important. And it's not, I'm not talking about this to make us feel different. It just helps the people in these rooms. I want to save lives today by teaching them how to get what I got. I have a passion for this, and I really want to do this. 
And I do. I spend a lot of time and everybody comes in talking about the food, talking about the food, talking about the food. And I always say it's not about the food. <laughs> I say it over and over again. It's not my food plan. You could follow my food plan and not. All food plans work if you stick to them, <laughs> if you stay stopped. And that's our problem. We can't stay stopped because I have this other side to this addiction that, you know, that mental state is my issue. And the only thing that solves that is to connecting to something greater than myself. And that's it. You know, this is my life today. I'm really grateful and I'm really happy that I get to speak to you and that I can tell you um, how I got here. So I know that I'm ending 10 minutes early, but I'm shocked that I made it to 30. <laughs> we only have 10-minute kind of slots to speak, so it's really hard. But I'm going to open it for questions. Is that okay, Leah? Of course. Thank you so much, Christine, for bringing to life in Technicolor <laughs> the, great, the greater aspect of our illness, our thinking, our minds. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, Christine's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. And, and let's open it up for questions at this time. If you have a question for Christine. This is Katie D. from Boston. You're, you're going to yeah. do exactly what uh, Janie just did. <laughs> please identify yourself. Give, give your last initial. Hold on. Thank you so much. Uh, you'll need to press star 1 to unmute to do so. Okay, so I have, is that Janie or Jamie? Matt M. I got Jack M. Matt M. It's Matt M. Matt M. Sorry about that. Liz F. Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. Okay, let's start with Katie G, please. Thanks. Oops, sorry, Leah. I it's Katie G. Um, I, okay, sorry. Um, thank you, Christine. What a beautiful presentation. Um, I just was hoping you could talk about um, the um, how you work your program now in terms of 10, 11, and 12, in terms of staying away from um, the crazy thinking, identifying when it does come, um, and things like that. Thank you. Sure. Okay. So how, I'll start with the 10 step because that's the key. Because what I find after teaching this to a lot of people, that um, seems where everybody stops cleaning. I don't know why, but it's hard, you know. I always feel one through nine. I always tell everybody I've been crying, so my nose is dripping and I can't find a tissue. Um, um, so um, I, uh, I feel that one through nine are the easy part. It's living in 10 and 10, 11 and 12. It's not difficult, but people, for some reason, find it hard to keep cleaning. But I clean at the moment it happens. So um, the moment uh, I wake up in the morning and I thank God for everything, I lay in bed just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank uh, you. And, um, and then I get up and I go about my day. But the moment I do something, I get a real sick feeling in my stomach. I never understood what that, that feeling was. My stomach turns. Some people get it in their throat. Some people just get tense altogether. Um, and for me, it's my stomach. And, you know, it's funny because I used to feed that feeling, and I no longer feed it. So the moment I have done something, wrong there's a pit okay and the pit goes um and i have to start going over what what just happened uh but i'll also say to you my thinking is also 
an indicator. If I repeat a story in my head twice, I know I have to do a 10-step. Okay, so if um, if something's gone on and I'm telling myself, you know, that, that talk, something, and then all of a sudden it comes back a second time, ah, ha, ha, I've got to clean that up, okay, and I've got to figure out why. If I tell it a third time and I haven't figured out why the first or second and that thing is going in my head again, I actually get out physical paper and do a 10-step. And when I get, I rarely have to do that today, but I recently had my ego hit, and I'll tell you the story, Um, um, because that's all this is. It's about our ego getting hit after we've done this for a while, Um, and it's fierce. All of it is fear-based, you know, and I rarely do resentments. It's all fear, or uh, and it's all about my ego. And um, so recently I was somewhere, I, I hadn't seen this woman in a long time, and my husband is with me, and in the middle of it, I hear her talking. I'm in a different room. I hear her talking to my husband going, so tell me the story. Did you dump that fat chick yet? Um, and da-da-da-da-da, because she hasn't seen me, okay, and I, I, in five years, right? And I think she knows who I am, but she's in her 90s, and she doesn't know who I am. Did you dump that fat beat? Yes, and she's going on and on and on and on and on. I come out, and I say, you know, such and such, or I'm making up a name, Margaret, it's me. It's Christine. And she gave me, no, a dirty look. And she said, you're not that ugly, fat, or whatever she said, you know, person. And I had a resentment, okay, when I left there. And I was pretty angry at her. She was very nasty to me. And um, and uh, I had to let that go. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of me, okay? So I cleaned that up, but it's still residual. It, it's, it hung on for two weeks of, like, just being discontent in the stomach. I no longer think of food, but I don't like that feeling. So every day I'm praying for the removal of those and replacement until that feeling goes away. But I also believe God has lessons, and he teaches me the same lesson over and over, and I had that lesson. There's something I needed to learn, that it doesn't matter what other people say. Okay, I don't have to listen to them. Okay, so that's how I clean it up immediately in 10. So when I do a 10, all right, today, today, I do a 4, 6, 7, 8, a 9, and then I'll do a 5. But the 5 today, I don't take it to anybody. I take it to God. If it removes I, I, uh, that that you know, defect and I start behaving, then uh, if it doesn't, I talk to my sponsor, okay, because I go back at it and I realize that I might have got my part wrong, okay, but I, it's rare. Sometimes I just need to have a conversation about it, and, um, but it's rare that I do do that. I, I go to God, okay, so 11, okay, um, 11. I, at night, um, Thank God for my day. I clean up everything I can right before I go to bed. And then anything I have to make an amends for, I think about that I will. But since I'm cleaning all day long, I rarely find 11s at night, okay? And I just thank God for giving me this day. And I let go of things maybe that I've identified that I don't want to be like anymore. And I ask for them to be removed, and I go to bed uh, peacefully, knowing that um, I have this God and that He'll help me the next day. Living in twelve, 
Um, what I've discovered recently, this is recent after three years of doing this, but I don't know I had this major discovery, is that this is a miracle. Okay, step 12. Because by teaching others these steps, I get to transform more. I take a lot of people on because um, I really feel this is my mission, that I get to stay here and clean more, and I'll explain that. It is in taking, I, I can tell you where, I'm in a car, taking, uh, helping someone with their fourth step, and in the middle of that process, she has something written about her sister. And I say, in the middle, I realize another character defect of mine. I ask her, I need to stop a second. I write everything I need to on the paper. At that given moment, I stop the middle of the step four. Because if I, I let go of that, I will forget that I have another resentment that I need to write. I do the resentment on the paper rapidly, and I move on. It is through helping others that I get to learn more about me again, um, you know, and I get to clean up even more. It's a miracle to me, you know, and um, I just didn't realize uh, even, you know, how helping someone else continues. Even though all the book says it, it just is I manifest it now and I see the changes and I see how helping someone else do this work, how I get to help mine. And I've done three of my major, major, major um, um, uh, defects or um, resentments by helping others. I got to different conclusions that I had originally came to and really got to the character defects that really were operating that by working with others and um, and by changing the words around a little um, some of those character defects dropped uh, more. And this is a, I'm not perfect. I still have uh, them and I still perform them. And I still will never uh, be perfect because if I was, I would be God, right? And I'm not. I'm just a humble servant. And um, I continue looking every day. I hope that, I hope that answered all of your questions. Thank you, Katie G. Let's go to Liz S. now. Your question, please. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for everything that you said. Um, I had a question about Step 10, and I'm wondering about your feelings about uh, starting Step 10 as early as uh, steps, Step 1 and 2, um, because certainly uh, resentments can begin at that stage and uh, that's my question right um I guess I have a hard time with that because if they can't get to their part accurately what's the use of <laughs> you know I, I guess I want them number one to have the food down number two to uh, believe in something that can can save them right um, mm -hmm. And all they have to do is be willing to believe in that. There's nothing more needed. It's just a willingness to believe that there's something out there. Then are you willing to, to give that something a try? And that's all they, they have to say they're willing to me. And if they are, then that's it. We proceed. But I need to see in step four if they can get their part right. 
because I've had people who I work with. Uh, I've worked with people from AA. I've worked from people in all different programs, and it's really quite interesting. And and they're duly addicted. They're in this room, and I they're for food, okay. And I'm helping them. But I've seen their four steps, and sometimes in their fourth column, they have tons of justifications versus really what their part really is. So this is the deal. I need them to get through the book, to get to how it works, to be able to work their fourth step for them to get their part right. Because let's be honest, if they don't get their part right, what's the use of doing a 10 step? Right. Thank you. Thanks, Liz S. Matt M., your question, please. Hi, thank you for your service, Christine T. Uh, my name is Matt M. I'm calling from New Jersey. And the questions I had was, um, what do you do if you're not sure if you're a hard eater or a compulsive overeater? And then as far as the fourth step is concerned, okay, what thing I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. How, many days after, how many days abstinence should I be abstinent for before I commence to work on the steps again? Um, just for me, um, okay, how I work as a sponsor, and that's all I can talk about, really, um, the truth is I sponsor all different kinds of eaters, so um, except for anorexics, because I have to be honest, I don't n- understand them from this perspective. They don't want to eat, and I can't stop. So there's a whole different kind of thing in that, and I just, I've tried. It doesn't work um, for me. I can't. I don't know how. Um, I'm not. I'm not that. Um, so, uh, but um, I. I just think you, as we go through the book, um, you can try all the little things they tell you to try and um, figure out what you are. Um, but for me, sponsoring. So from the beginning, I only sponsor people who want to go through the steps. That's it. I really don't like to sponsor food, but in about five to six weeks, you'll just be sending food to me via text because I need to move on to the next suffer so um, or email, whatever. Uh, but in the beginning, I and my sponsor has taught me she has this great way of doing it. We give you assignments, and after about 21 days, I'll push you through the book. But I will tell you, I've had somebody come back in the last two weeks, and I hope she's listening, um, and she's done the steps before she's been in this program. I sponsored her in the past. Um, I She's a week abstinent, and I'm trying to take her through the steps again because um, we're just going to do it. She didn't fully complete it, and we're going to go back from the beginning and take her through um, because you know, it's different with each person. So I can say I have these kind of rules, but they're they also they're not really rules, you know, um, because I have to hear what each person needs or wants. But uh, you need to be clear and out of the food uh, because I can't really help you. And um, and 21 days seems to be a good amount where the clarity's through. I can hear clarity in three days from people. They sound, even in one day, they sound, I remember the next day at 330 pounds, I woke up the next day feeling like a size six, okay? <laughs> and I just like, you know, not to binge for a day, but I'm still not clear. And uh, 21 days uh, after that, I zoom through because, listen, it, you can do, for me, if you read a chapter in a day, uh, you read four chapters, I will move heaven and earth to read four chapters with you, to get you on your fourth step in three days after 21 days. I will, if you want to move, I'll move. If you don't want to move, you know, I make the people who move my priority, and the people who don't want to do this work, they just 
or sit there and they call me when they're finished, you know, uh, but that's the reality. And and the truth is I want people to move because um, I believe the drawbridge is down, okay, this is my analogy over the moat, and we have a little bit of willingness, right? Jump on that uh, that drawbridge and run because the moment your feet are on that drawbridge, that willingness starts, that drawbridge goes up, <laughs> okay? And the willingness gets further and, and less and less. So um, that's the deal um, is once this work is started, run. Don't walk. Thanks very Thanks. much. Thanks, Matt. Who else has a question? For Christine, star one to unmute to identify yourself. Gladys F. Hoodie R. Gladys F. Hoodie R. Anyone else? Sandy S. Sandy S. Okay, let's go with that group. Gladys F., your question, please. Hi, my name is Gladys F. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. What's the speaker name again? Christine. Christine. Hi. Uh, I have a, uh, my question is, um, you mentioned that it's not about the food, um, you know, and it's our thinking. Um, mm-hmm. We have a thinking disease, and I understand that. But what my question is, is that, how do you look at, like, if a person um, identify their red light foods mm-hmm. and they put their red light foods down, mm-hmm. but they have a problem uh, committing to a food plan, you know, like a strict a food plan because of, mm-hmm. uh, like, feeling that diet mentality, you know, of mm-hmm. of, of dieting for so many years and um but but not eating the red light foods but not really uh, following a uh uh a food plan. What are your take on that? Okay. So meaning okay, so I want to define this. Meaning you don't want to eat or not, not you, uh, uh, you this person okay does not want to eat weighed and measured portions, correct? Right. Okay, so basically a diet that would require you to weigh and measure and eat uh, portions. Well, I have a way out of that one. Like three meals a day. (laughs) Right, and three meals a day. Okay, so I'll discuss my food plan. So do you want to hear my food plan? Yeah. Not that I believe in it, okay, in the sense of talking about it, okay, but I will tell you. Okay, at first when I walked in here, I ate three weight and measured meals with an extra snack, okay? I, about a year ago, changed my meal plan where I eat six small meals a day. I do some bodybuilding. I'm really physically fit today, and um, uh, and um, uh, that seems to work for me, um, what I do. But I don't sponsor, I don't know any one person in these rooms that has the same food plan as I do, or do they eat the same? <laughs> there isn't one person. My red light foods are different than your red light foods. I have, I'll explain. I sponsor some people who um, don't weigh and measure. They have, uh, and I'll explain what they do. They use their hands 
as measurements in some sort of way. Okay, so the palm of their hand is a protein. Okay, if they cup their hand, that's half a cup of grain. Okay, and maybe it's unrefined. Then if they put their cupped hand on on down on the table, that's uh that's a cup. Okay, so their plate looks like one one palm protein, two cups vegetable, and one cupped cupped hand of a grain. And that's how they commit, and they commit generically to eating that way. As long as they do not eat their red light foods, I don't have an issue. But how do you know? Uh, I guess I'm going to ask you, are you overeating on anything? And, And are you willing to give something a try in a different way? Is there a resistance to the willingness to do it okay, and do it your way, or is there a way to come about it where you, is your, okay, so here it is, is is your, is what you're doing working? I'm going to ask you this, Gladys, is what you're doing working for you? Do you want to lose weight? Star one, Gladys. Okay. All right. So Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, now I can. Do you want to lose weight, Gladys? I want to talk back and forth to you. Do you want to lose weight? Oh, yes. I I, I do want to lose weight. Okay. And... All right. Now stop. Then what you're doing is it working for you? I mean, I'm losing weight, but not like, you know, really I think I would prefer to lose it a lot quicker because I haven't I'm I too started over 300 pounds, and I have lost about, like, a, like 60 pounds. Okay. But, so yeah. what you're doing is working for you, but slower than what you want to do. Okay. Yeah. So why do you, can I just ask, why do you not want to f- follow sort of weighing and measuring? But weighing and measuring doesn't mean less food, okay? What it might mean is you you just kind of know a little bit more how accurate you are. Your thinking is off, you know, in the sense that, I, you know, when I want to do it, like, in the sense that I think that, uh, I, and I'm not saying it's off, it's just off because I think I know, uh, you know, I'm talking about me, okay? So when I say that, please don't think I'm criticizing you because anytime I'm talking, I'm talking about myself because I can only relate uh, to myself. So for when I think that, I know that for me, okay, I'm thinking it because I just am unwilling to do what I want to do, what I need to do. And that's that's for me, that's what I, but maybe that's not for you. Maybe it's, you know, this isn't a diet. This is a way of life, and it's a ways to get to the healthy body I want to. You know, I understand. Mm-hmm. I lost, uh, let me explain. I lost 90 pounds, okay, in two years. My body wouldn't take any more weight off. I had to change. Listen to me, Gladys. I got rid of all carbohydrates, all of them, okay? Uh, my carbohydrates come from vegetables and fruit, Okay, and I don't even like talking about this, but I I made a change a year ago, and I had I was in love with bananas. I thought that was okay, but a banana is a red light food for me. I had to change my whole thing, but because I got I did all this, I changed the way I eat. I've lost a lot more weight. I'm I I feel really healthy. I started to move, and I did what I needed to do, and I didn't die from it. Okay. Okay. Because that is just. 
It's just the means to getting to the this real work. Okay, I put this down, I get really clear. I weigh and measure everything, and then I can do the real work. Okay, and when I do this real work, it doesn't matter what the hell I follow. I'll follow any food plan because I don't really care about it anymore. It's not important anymore. Okay, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter anymore. Oh. You know, it doesn't matter that I, I have to weigh and measure. It's not important. And I do weigh and measure, but it's not important. I don't feel bad for myself. I don't call into restaurants and find what they're eating anymore because I can basically eat anywhere. I just spent a month in Asia. I was a month in New Zealand and and, uh, a week or 10 days in Australia. I came back weighing the same as before I went. And I didn't find out where that food was served or anything. You know, I know exactly what I have to do today, nor did I obsess about it. You can do it. All right. Okay. Hoodie, is that the next one? (laughs) Thanks, Gladys, for your question. Hoodie R, your question, please. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for your service. I'm being heard, right? You are? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for everything. And um, thank you, Christine, for for sharing with us your experience with working the steps. And I heard you share, um, and see if I was mistaken, if I heard right, that you um, made an amends um, to your aunt and uncle after the fourth step, and I want to know more about that. Um, and also, if you could expand a little bit on your step eleven and how you um, how you work on um, you know getting that ego out on a on a daily basis. That it's not it's that's that's it. Yeah, it's not easy. It's a constant battle <laughs> because it constantly wants to regrow because I think what I know is more important. Um, okay, I'll talk about my four-step. That's my four-step inventory um, with my aunt and uncle. What would you like to know about that? A little bit more about that, how that went on, how the four-step went. I don't understand what you would like to know about that. Explain that I just, I just heard... I just heard um, that, um, I don't know, maybe I heard wrong, but that after you finished your fourth step, you went to step nine, and I thought that we go through the steps in order. So I want yes. to know if I just heard wrong. Correct. Yeah, I was just sharing in my fourth step. You're correct. I did a five. I admitted it. Okay. I did a six and seven and eight where I organized amends, and in nine, I did make amends to them. You're correct. Yeah, I did do it that way. I didn't do that in five. After I did the steps, four, five, six, seven, and eight, thank you, um, when I was in nine, I made that amends. You're correct. Okay, then 11. Brought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying the knowledge for his will for us and the power to carry that out. Okay, so step 11. Um, I tend to talk to God all day long. I tend to thank God all day long. I wake up saying thank you. And talking to God is not necessarily for me this whole prayer thing. For me, it's a nod. It's a tilt of my head. It's um, just thank you. Um, And I do that all day long. But a huge part of what I do is meditation. And I'll tell you, right before I started this, I meditated for seven minutes. And I had an incredible meditation, okay? So I spend, I really, I, I've started meditating um, years ago. Uh, it's some, a practice I dropped for a very long time, but I picked up where I left off just like my disease does. 
um, uh, did over all those years. Um, and um, I, my meditation before I got on this phone was amazing. I closed my eyes, and the moment I asked God to come in, um, I started sobbing just really crying. I can cry just based on it. And I felt so full, okay, full of love, full of him, full of whatever that thing is out there that's incredible, okay? And I asked him to speak through me versus me speaking. But in that, I got a hum. I get a hum. When he's present, I get this incredible hum inside of my body that is like, Um, I don't know how to explain it. It is like this low vibration where the whole body just hums. And I said, thank you. And that was the end. And I got up. Uh, uh, And that's it. I just sit and listen. Um, So um, smashing ego. Um, It is extraneous things that happen that where my ego rebuilds. Someone's mentioned that uh, my husband recently told me we tend to go to one meeting together. He's not a compulsive overeater, but there is this uh, big book meeting that I go to that is absolutely fabulous in Morristown on Monday nights, and um, he tends to go with me, and one week he told me he thought I talked too much. <laughs> and uh, I laughed, um, and but my ego got hit, right? So I have to work really hard at realizing what he says doesn't matter. What I, maybe I should evaluate, am I talking too much? Take a look at that. And uh, I work uh, those step tens to bring me to what character defects lead me to the fear of he, if he's right, uh, all of these things. And I work really hard at, at the opposite, acknowledging that I behave this way. If it's it's grandiose or it's arrogant, then I have to behave. God, remove my arrogance and teach me to be humble. God, remove this. Teach me to be this. And that's my mantra. That's what I do. Thank you, Hoodie R, for your question. And Sandy S., it is your turn. Your question, please. Sandy S., star one to unmute. This is Sandy S. from Asheville. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Hi. Um, I, I've been in the program a long time and have a long-term abstinence by the grace of God, like with no slips or anything, just, and I've shared many times on this line that I've returned to OA after leaving for 17 years because I felt I wasn't getting the emotional, spiritual thing I needed. My big issue is believing in a higher power that can restore me to sanity. i definitely believe that God has kept me abstinent. I mean, I could not do it. But I have difficulty believing because I really beg God to remove my fear and also this other thing, comparisons, constantly getting angry that someone has more than me. And I realize how, you know, definitely self-knowledge has availed me nothing. I mean, I know a lot. It's like worthless. Um, So I just would like to hear how you had a relationship with a higher power because I'm definitely an agnostic that wants to be a believer. And um, whether specifically, give me one example 
of a debilitating fear that you feel has been removed. Because it's yep. easy to see abstinence working, like you know whether you're abstinent or not. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to see the, the psychic change. And with that, I pass. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you two. Okay, so the 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 biggest one that I had, okay, and I'll I'll go a little into my God in the past and how I got here. Okay, I'm a former Catholic who went to um, Church of the Child by a dad um, who was not an exemplary Catholic. <laughs> um, you know, I I had some abuse in my childhood, not sexual, physical. Um, and um, and one Sunday at Mass, and I can tell you it was around Easter, I had a hat, I had little cherries on my gloves, I had a purse with cherries, I had cherries on my shoes, my mother had me dressed in this outfit for Easter that was all full of cherries. And at Mass, it was an auditorium in the 60s, and they sang those hippie songs, okay, because I was born in 64. I love all those songs. <laughs> and um, and um, it was a huge place, and my father didn't think I was sitting up straight enough, and he put his knuckles in my back for that hour-and-a-half Easter Mass. And I had bruises all over my back. And um, during Mass, I remember thinking, if this is the God that he wants me to believe in. I refused to believe it. And I decided that I wanted a God that was different, that was loving, kind. I'm nine years old, mind you, okay? I know this sounds crazy. I remember this explicitly, okay, because I know what I was wearing and that it hurt. Those knuckles hurt. And I just thought, I'm going to believe in something that's better than this. And I raised my kids Catholic and all this, but I realized... um, when I came back in here a little bit before, that my guy, my God is coming, um, loving, kind, and gentle. So is my sponsor today. I don't have any sponsor who is nasty or mean spirit or yelling at me um, or telling me who they think I am. I only hang around with people who are kind, loving, and gentle today. And in that very second, uh, I wanted to believe in something so different than my father had for me in that in that moment that that's kind of what I came back in and developed. So when I came here all you have to be is and my god is something of the universe, okay? It's something universal. It's not the traditional probably god I was taught as a child. It's what makes this earth rotate. Um, you know, uh conception happen, the leaves coming out of a bud. But um, for me, it is this awesome thing that is so much more powerful than I am. And am I willing to believe it in the beginning that it can save me? Why not? What I'm doing isn't working. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not able to, um, to solve my problems, am I? So what, what is the use? I can't, I'm thinking sickly, I'm not able, why not give that thing a try? What do I have to lose? So I believed that this thing at that very moment, why not? What's what's the use? I'm done. I want to die, so I might as well try, okay? So the next one is, am I willing to put my whole self into this, you know, and turn my whole life over to this? Why not try it? 
if I keep questioning it, I'm never going to try it, right? So I decide, okay, I'm going to do that. But it's not really until we're really working and living these steps do the miracles start to happen. And here are the two miracles. So when I do do my amends, as the girl said, in my fourth I did this, I'd made my fifth, I go six, seven, eight, and nine. I make my amends to Uncle Henry. I never thought in my entire life I would be ever be talking to these people again in my life. I hated them. The fact that I had this man on the phone and he told me my worst nightmare in person or not in person but via phone, my worst nightmare, who he thought I really was. If that's not facing a fear, I don't know what else. <laughs> you know, and I was everything he told me and I giggled. I thank God. In the middle of that, I looked at the thing and I thought this was the miracle that I could listen to this man tell me my worst nightmare of who he thought I was and me say, yeah, you're right. I don't know what else is, what that is, except that God was with me or whatever that thing out there that, that rotates this earth that I believe in, I felt protected. I giggled. Okay, and I thought, yeah, this is this is a real miracle. My next miracle. I am it's real I, I have so many. I have the one about loving this boy. Uh you know, uh my husband and I talked about thinking of you know, like this kid, how can we get rid of him? Like we really did, okay? And I love this kid like he's my own child. Like my own child. I would protect him and do anything. This boy who's marrying my daughter, I love him. Okay? And that there's beauty to that. Okay, that's that's a fear. Okay? Here's another one. Okay. I was afraid of flying. My husband has a job where he flies all around the world constantly. He has asked me for fifteen years to travel with him. I weighed 330 pounds, and I thought my weight would take down that plane. Anytime there was turbulence on a plane, I would start screaming, ah, like crazy, okay? Since I've done this work, I traveled to 12 countries in the past year, okay? I have gotten on planes. I hired in New Zealand a private plane for the day to fly me over mountains and land up and down to the, the southern Alps of New Zealand. I was in that plane for eight hours, a single-engine plane. This kid was looking at an iPad and not looking in the sky. And they said, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. And this kid, this they said over the radio, there's a plane in the air, there's a plane. He goes, he just, I said, I showed him the helicopter over there. I'm sitting in the front next to him as he's flying this plane. He's 26 years old. And I never had a fear in my entire life that I was going to die. I never thought, don't get in the plane. I never worried about it. He took off and landed. I landed on the top of Mount Tasman, a glacier. I walked in a glacier. I never thought once that I was not going to make it. I never think twice. I take 18-hour flights all over the world today. I never, ever think that, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? You know, whereas I couldn't travel with my husband. I didn't know how. I no longer have fear of any of that. Nothing. Nothing. I never think about it. I get on the damn plane. I fall asleep. I don't take pills. I don't do anything. I, I know all the stewardesses on the flight to Hong Kong and back. Oh, not Hong Kong. Narita. Okay, and that's the truth. I mean, I I get to see the world because I am no longer a prisoner of my own mind because I believe that there is something out there. And if he wants me, he'll take me. 
and I don't care because I'm ready. Thank you, Sandy S., for your question. And we'll Thank take another. So and we'll take another group uh, who might have a question for Christine. Press star one to unmute and identify yourself, please. Leah D. Leah D. Hold on, Leah. Anyone else? This will be the final invitation. If it's on your mind, it's probably on the mind of numerous others. Hi there, can I be heard? Yes, and your name, please. Uh, hi, my name is Aisha Grateful, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. And Christine, thank you so hold, much. Hold on, well, I'm sorry. One moment, one moment. Leah D is first. Your name again, please? Aisha. Aisha. Okay, one moment, please. Yes, yeah, sure, thanks. Anyone else? Okay, let's start with Leah D. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for sharing. Can I be heard? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, words can't express the identification and gratitude. You get a new sponsee. She's got some abstinence. Tell me how you go through the first beginning steps. I want to hear what you do with the doctor's opinion getting the first step, second step, third step. Just give me a beginning scenario. Thank you. Okay. So um, basically I send out a questionnaire um, called um, the unmanageability questionnaire, step one. How unmanageable is their life? And really if they fill that out, that's just willingness right there. <laughs> you know, some procrastinate for months, okay? So I know their willingness is like they're hesitating. I don't know why. But I leave it in their court, okay? I I recently sent that out at 8 a.m. and someone had it back to me by noon, okay? This is a retread, somebody coming back to me. And the fact that she wa- she filled that out in four hours is amazing. We're already on the second chapter, Okay, so what happens is they fill that out, and that's really for them, okay? I get to read it because I get to see all their, some things, I get to see their relationship with God, there's questions in it that are fabulous, and I get to kind of see what I'm about to kind of hit up against maybe in some areas, and and that where I can dwell in the book with. Then at that point, they read the doctor's opinion highlight, okay? I go over my highlights. When they're done, they call me. I go over my highlights and Dr. Pinion. They go over their highlights. I send them questions. Okay? So this is how it goes. I don't really deal uh, until I get to how it works, okay, with two and three. Um, And I have some questionnaires that I send out, and they have to kind of write a little dialogue about it. And then um, at that point, we have read all of these chapters, the doctor's opinion, all the way to where you start. I can tell you where step two. Uh, Hold on, I've got my little cheat sheet. I have a cheat sheet. I'm not very good at memorizing. So page 46, second paragraph through 63. Okay, that's step two. Okay, okay. uh, you know, in in um, and and step three, page sixty three, second paragraph through sixty four. 
first paragraph. That's step three. That's where I deal with them. But basically, I, I, they read a chapter. We read highlights together. They, I send them questions. They read a chapter. They tell me they're done. I read highlights, and we get until we get to that, those areas in the big book. And then we, we um, deal with a couple of questionnaires, and we move forward on to step four. Hope that answered it. Thank you, Leah D. Our final question this morning comes from Aisha. Thank you so much, and thanks for everybody on this call. My question is, how do you handle a sponsee who has shown great willingness in terms of doing the homework and showing up but keeps relapsing? Um, not easy. What, I, what I've been learning to do is the moment that occurs, this is when it occurs about the third time, I tell them to get three days of abstinence and call me. And when they can get three days of abstinence, then they start to call me. I'll give them a little project kind of to do. And I love uh, my sponsor. It makes you write a story um, of what it would like be like uh you know, the best day in your life, you know, in a recovered state. And little kind of things to get them going so that I can start moving again. And I had somebody who did this who has an incredible recovery. She had to have her bottom, and that's the thing. They're not at bottom yet, okay? So even if we do this work, I don't know if it's going to work. And uh, I'll give you an example. She's such a wonderful person. Um, She was trying to... um, I guess we started in March, so March, April, May, June. She finally had some incident happen to her um, where she um, gained so much weight in a week, a piece of clothing didn't fit. Um, And that made her realize, and I had done some of the chapters with her, what she was doing. And that was her bottom. So... We can't help anybody get to bottom, but what I've also learned is part of page 96 is I have to move on, okay? So I have to move to the next fellow sufferer. I'm not mean about it. I just kind of say, if you can get three days together, call me. But I have to move to the next person um, because that's what this missionary work kind of does for me. I have to be out there helping others. Because uh, there's someone else that wants what I have. And I love 96. I read 96 all the time, okay, because um, I, 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 want what, uh, I want to be helping here. I'm going to read it. I'm trying to flip to it. Um, do not be discouraged if your process, prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough. Okay, there you go. Desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you have to offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. Get it? 
<laughs> That's it. That's how I live today. I know there's somebody else out there that I have to help. It's not me. They need to hit their bottom. And I can't uh, sit there and help them hit bottom as I needed to hit mine. And and I just asked them to try and get three days together and call me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aisha. And, of course, thank you, Christine, for spending time with us this morning. It's always a pleasure. You've been so helpful today by sharing your experience, strength, and hope with all of us. Thank you so much. Let's close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.